Duel. A duel is an arranged engagement in combat between two people, with matched weapons, in accordance with agreed-upon rules. During the 17th and 18th centuries and earlier, duels were mostly single combat fought with swords, the rapier and later the small sword, but beginning in the late 18th century in England, duels were more commonly fought using pistols. Fencing and shooting continued to coexist throughout the 19th century. The duel was based on a code of honor. Duels were fought not so much to kill the opponent as to gain satisfaction, that is, to restore one's honor by demonstrating a willingness to risk one's life for it, and as such the tradition of dueling was originally reserved for the male members of nobility, however, in the modern era, it extended to those of the upper classes generally. On occasion, duels with swords or pistols were fought between women. Legislation against dueling goes back to the medieval period. The Fourth Council of the Lateran, 1215, outlawed duels, and civil legislation in the Holy Roman Empire against dueling was passed in the wake of the Thirty Years' War. From the early 17th century, duels became illegal in the countries where they were practiced. Dueling largely fell out of favor in England by the mid-19th century and in continental Europe by the turn of the 20th century. Dueling declined in the eastern United States in the 19th century and by the time of the American Civil War, dueling had begun to wane even in the South. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Public opinion, not legislation, caused the change. Research has linked the decline of dueling to increases in state capacity. United States. The most notorious American duel was the Burr-Hamilton duel, in which notable Federalist and former Secretary of the Treasury Alexander Hamilton was fatally wounded by his political rival, the sitting Vice President of the United States Aaron Burr. Another American politician, Andrew Jackson, later to serve as a general officer in the U.S. Army and to become the seventh president, fought two duels, though some legends claim he fought many more. On May 30, 1806, he killed prominent duelist Charles Dickinson, suffering himself from a chest wound that caused him a lifetime of pain. Jackson also reportedly engaged in a bloodless duel with a lawyer and in 1803 came very near to dueling with John Sevier. Jackson also engaged in a frontier brawl, not a duel, with Thomas Hart Benton in 1813. In 1827, during the sandbar fight, James Bowie was involved in an arranged pistol duel that quickly escalated into a knife-fighting melee, not atypical of American practices at the time. On September 22, 1842, future President Abraham Lincoln, at the time an Illinois state legislator, met to duel with state auditor James Shields, but friends intervened and persuaded them against it. In 1864, American writer Mark Twain, then a contributor to the New York Sunday Mercury, narrowly avoided fighting a duel with a rival newspaper editor, apparently through the intervention of his second, who exaggerated Twain's prowess with a pistol. Legislation Charles I. Esti outlawed dueling in Austria-Hungary in 1917. Germany, the various states of the Holy Roman Empire, has a history of laws against dueling going back to the late medieval period, with a large amount of legislation, dual mandate, dating from the period after the Thirty Years' War. Prussia outlawed dueling in 1851 and the law was inherited by the Reichstrafgesetzbuch of the German Empire after 1871.
Pope Leo XIII in the Encyclica Pastorali Sufficii, 1891, asked the bishops of Germany and Austria-Hungary to impose penalties on duelists. In Nazi-era Germany, legislations on dueling were tightened in 1937. After World War II, West German authorities persecuted academic fencing as duels until 1951, when a Göttingen court established the legal distinction between academic fencing and dueling. In 1839, after the death of a congressman, dueling was outlawed in Washington, D.C. A constitutional amendment was even proposed for the federal constitution to outlaw dueling. Some U.S. states' constitutions, such as West Virginia's, contain explicit prohibitions on dueling to this day. In Kentucky, state members of the Electoral College must swear that they had never engaged in a duel with a deadly weapon, under a clause in the state constitution enacted in the 1850s and still valid. Other U.S. states, like Mississippi until the late 1970s, formerly had prohibitions on dueling in their state constitutions, but later repealed them, whereas others, such as Iowa, constitutionally prohibited known duelers from holding political office until the early 1990s. From 1921 until 1971, Uruguay was one of the few places where duels were fully legal. During that period, a duel was legal in cases where an honor tribunal of three respectable citizens, one chosen by each side and the third chosen by the other two, had ruled that sufficient cause for a duel existed. Sumptuary Laws Sumptuary laws are laws that try to regulate consumption. Black's Law Dictionary defines them as laws made for the purpose of restraining luxury or extravagance, particularly against inordinate expenditures for apparel, food, furniture, etc. Historically, they were intended to regulate and reinforce social hierarchies and morals through restrictions on clothing, food, and luxury expenditures, often depending on a person's social rank. Societies have used sumptuary laws for a variety of purposes. They were used to try to regulate the balance of trade by limiting the market for expensive imported goods. They made it easy to identify social rank and privilege, and as such could be used for social discrimination. They could also be used to prevent, or at least reduce opportunities for political bribery and corruption. The laws often prevented commoners from imitating the appearance of aristocrats, and could be used to stigmatize disfavored groups. In late medieval cities, sumptuary laws were instituted as a way for the nobility to limit the conspicuous consumption of the prosperous bourgeoisie. Bourgeois subjects appearing to be as wealthy as or wealthier than the ruling nobility could undermine the nobility's presentation of themselves as powerful, legitimate rulers. This could call into question their ability to control and defend their fief, thus inspire traitors and rebels. Such laws continue to be used for these purposes well into the 17th century. Modern Era While rarely do restrictions exist on the type or quality of clothing, beyond maintenance of public decency, covering parts of the body, depending upon the jurisdiction, not exhibiting unacceptable wording or images, wearing certain types of clothing is restricted to specific occupations, specifically the uniforms of organizations such as police and the military. In some jurisdictions, clothing or other visible signs of religious or political opinion, for example Nazi imagery in Germany, are forbidden in certain public places. Many American states in the 20th century prohibited the wearing of KKK hoods, masks, masquerade or drag. Gay men in New York City seized on the exemption for masquerade balls in the 1920s to 1930s to go in drag. Proscription or requirement of native dress. Sumptuary laws have also been used to control populations by prohibiting the wearing of native dress and hairstyles, along with the proscription of other cultural customs. 
Sir John Perrault, the Lord Deputy of Ireland under Queen Elizabeth I, banned the wearing of traditional woolen mantles, open smocks with great sleeves, and native headdresses, requiring the people to dress in civil garments in the English style. In a similar manner, the Dress Act of 1746, which formed part of the Act of Proscription issued under King George II following the Jacobite Rising of 1745, made the wearing of Highland dress, including tartan and kilts, illegal in Scotland, an exemption was made for soldiers and veterans. The Act was eventually repealed in 1782, and during the Regency and Victorian eras, Highland dress gained widespread popularity, in part thanks to the visit of George IV to Scotland in 1822, which was organized by Scottish writer Sir Walter Scott. In Bhutan, the wearing of traditional dress, which also has an ethnic connotation, in certain places, such as when visiting government offices, was made compulsory in 1989 under the Driglam Namsa laws. Part of the traditional dress includes the kabni, a long scarf whose coloring is regulated. Only the king of Bhutan and chief abbot may don the saffron scarf, with various other colors reserved for government and religious officers, and white available for common people. Pejorative uses of the term. The term sumptuary law has been used as a pejorative term to describe any governmental control of consumption based on moral, religious, health, or public safety, or other concerns. American Judge Thomas M. Cooley generally described their modern form as laws that substitute the legislative judgment for that of the proprietor, regarding the manner in which he should use and employ his property. Policies to which the term has been critically applied include alcohol prohibition, drug prohibition, smoking bans, and restrictions on dog fighting. Alcohol Prohibition As early as 1860, Anthony Trollope, writing about his experiences in Maine under the state's prohibition law, stated, this law, prohibition, like all sumptuary laws, must fail. In 1918, William Howard Taft decried prohibition in the United States as a bad sumptuary law, stating that one of his reasons for opposing prohibition was his belief that sumptuary laws are matters for parochial adjustment. Taft later repeated this concern. The Indiana Supreme Court also discussed alcohol prohibition as a sumptuary law in its 1855 decision Herman v. State. During state conventions on the ratification of the 21st Amendment in 1933, numerous delegates throughout the United States decried prohibition as having been an improper sumptuary law that never should have been included in the Constitution of the United States. In 1971, a United States federal study stated that federal laws on alcohol include sumptuary laws which are directed at the purchaser, including, sales are not permitted to minors or intoxicated persons. Credit is often prohibited on liquor sales, as well. Criminal penalties may be imposed for driving under the influence of alcohol, as well as for drunken behavior. Drug Prohibition When the U.S. state of Washington considered cannabis decriminalization in two initiatives, 229 and 248, the initiative's language stated, Cannabis prohibition is a sumptuary law of a nature repugnant to our Constitution's framers. England As early as the 12th century, Certain articles of clothing were prohibited to crusaders and pilgrims traveling to the Holy Land under the Saladin tithe of 1188, but scant evidence exists in the historical record of legal regulations on dress in Britain until the reign of Edward III, during which prohibitions were enacted on the import of textiles from lands outside Ireland, England, Scotland, and Wales and the exportation of domestically produced wool was likewise banned. The statute contained further restrictions on clothing based on social class, 
the earliest example of class-based restriction was that of fur, prohibited for anyone below the rank of lady or knight. The restriction on fur was expanded in subsequent decades in London to restrict prostitutes from wearing any furs, including budge, low-quality wool, or lambswool. In England, which in this respect was typical of Europe, from the reign of Edward III in the Middle Ages until well into the 17th century, sumptuary laws dictated what color and type of clothing, furs, fabrics, and trims were allowed to persons of various ranks or incomes. In the case of clothing, this was intended, amongst other reasons, to reduce spending on foreign textiles and to ensure that people did not dress above their station. The excessive apparel and the superfluity of unnecessary foreign wares thereto belonging now of late years has grown by sufferance to such an extremity that the manifest decay of the whole realm generally is like to follow, by bringing into the realm such superfluities of silks, cloths of gold, silver, and other most vain devices of so great cost for the quantity thereof as of necessity the monies and treasure of the realm is and must be yearly conveyed out of the same to answer the said excess, but also particularly the wasting and undoing of a great number of young gentlemen, otherwise serviceable, and others seeking by show of apparel to be esteemed as gentlemen, who, allured by the vain show of those things, do not only consume themselves, their goods, and lands which their parents left unto them, but also run into such debts and shifts, as they cannot live out of danger of laws without attempting unlawful acts, whereby they are not any way serviceable to their country as otherwise they might be. Statute issued at Greenwich, June 15, 1574, by order of Elizabeth I. The first major sumptuary act was passed in the April of 1463 during the reign of Edward IV. Earlier statutes had sought to control the expense of household liveries, but the April 1463 statute marked the first attempt at a comprehensive sumptuary legislation. Scholars have interpreted the act as part of a set of protectionist economic measures that included regulations of the textile industry and trade in cloths. This statute is the first known English legislation restricting the use of royal purple, a term which, during the Middle Ages, referred not only to the Tyrian purple of antiquity, but also to crimson, dark reds and royal blue. The language of the Act uses technical terminology to restrict certain features of garments that are decorative in function, intended to enhance the silhouette. A second act of apparel followed in January 1483 restricting cloth of gold, sable, ermine, velvet on velvet and satin brocade to knights and lords. Damask and satin were allowed for yeomen of the crown and esquires and other members of the gentry, only if they had a yearly income of £40. Bustion, fustion, Scarlet dyed clothes and any leathers or animal hides other than lambskins were also restricted. A 1571 Act of Parliament to stimulate domestic wool consumption and general trade decreed that on Sundays and holidays, all males over six years of age, except for the nobility and persons of degree, were to wear woolen caps on pain of a fine of three farthings, three quarters penny, per day. This law instituted the flat cap as part of English wear. The 1571 Act was repealed in 1597. An extremely long list of items, specifying color, materials, and sometimes place of manufacture, imported goods being much more tightly restricted, followed for each sex, with equally specific exceptions by rank of nobility or position held. For the most part, these laws seem to have had little effect, though the Parliament of England made repeated amendments to the laws, and several monarchs, most notably the Tudors, continually called for stricter enforcement, especially at court to the intent there may be a difference of estates known by their apparel after the commendable custom in times past. 
The laws were justified by the reasoning that the price of certain goods increased to levels where the treasure of the land is destroyed, to the great damage of the lords and the commonality when various people or various conditions were various apparel not appropriate to their estate. Adam Smith was against the necessity or convenience of sumptuary laws, he wrote, of it is the highest impertinence and presumption. In kings and ministers, to pretend to watch over the economy of private people, and to restrain their expense. They are themselves always, and without any exception, the greatest spendthrifts in the society. Let them look well after their own expense, and they may safely trust private people with theirs. If their own extravagance does not ruin the state, that of their subjects never will.